welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Tudor, Certified Lifestyle Medicine Practitioner. My aim is to help everyday people understand science, not the science, and to use that understanding to make better choices for their health and well-being. Each episode, I'll be bringing my latest Substack post to you in audio form. For the full visual experience, including graphs, charts, images, and videos, view the accompanying post in my Empowered Substack. And now, let's dive in. Episode 34, Has Psychiatry Finally Reached Its Apocalypse Now Moment? A new review has comprehensively debunked the serotonin theory of depression. Whilst I was in the midst of writing last week's post, The ADHD Scam, a systematic umbrella review was published in the journal Molecular Psychiatry on the so-called serotonin theory of depression. This theory posits that low levels of, and or low activity of, the neurotransmitter or brain communication chemical serotonin is causally associated with depression. The review concluded that, quote, the main areas of serotonin research provide no consistent evidence of there being an association between serotonin and depression, and no support for the hypothesis that depression is caused by lowered serotonin activity or concentrations, end of quote. And that quote was from the paper, The Serotonin Theory of Depression, a Systematic Umbrella Review of the Evidence. My first reaction to the review was, no shit, Sherlock. I've been writing about the complete lack of evidence for the serotonin deficiency and biochemical imbalance theories of depression for most of the last decade. For example, in my article, Five Reasons to Think Twice Before Taking an Antidepressant, originally written in 2013 and updated several times since then, the last time in October 2020, I quoted David Healy, Professor of Psychiatry at Cardiff University. After devoting 10 years to studying serotonin levels and activity in depressed people, Healy shared his findings in Let Them Eat Prozac, published in 2004. In this book, Healy stated categorically, quote, no abnormality of serotonin in depression has ever been demonstrated, end of quote. He also pointed out that George Ashcroft, the psychiatrist who first advanced the serotonin theory of depression in the late 1950s, had abandoned it due to lack of evidence by 1970, a full 18 years before the first drug that supposedly treated depression by raising serotonin levels within the brain, fluoxetine, best known as Prozac, was launched onto the market and became a near-instant blockbuster. In my article, Depressed or Just Going Through a Rough Patch, Have You Been Misdiagnosed?, written in 2014, I referred to research performed by Irving Kirsch and presented in a highly accessible form in his book, The Emperor's New Drugs, published in 2009, which clearly demonstrated that antidepressant drugs are no more effective than placebos at relieving the symptoms of depression. Clearly, this would not be the case if the drugs were correcting a deficiency or imbalance of neurotransmitters which had caused the depression in the first place. In my article, Who Says You're Depressed or Anxious? Pfizer Does, written in April 2018, I shared my reading list of books which blow the biochemical imbalance theory of depression and other so-called mental disorders to smithereens. Peter Bregan's many titles, including Toxic Psychiatry, Talking Back to Prozac and the Antidepressant Factbook. Robert Whitaker's Anatomy of an Epidemic and Psychiatry Under the Influence, Gary Greenberg's Manufacturing Depression, Irving Kirsch's The Emperor's New Drugs, Peter Gertsch's Deadly Psychiatry and Organised Denial, and James Davies' Cracked. 
The title of my article, by the way, refers to the fact that Pfizer owns the intellectual property for the screening questionnaires that doctors use to identify people who may qualify for diagnoses of depressive disorder and generalised anxiety disorder, for which Pfizer conveniently makes several of the most widely prescribed drugs, including venlafaxine, orifexor, sertraline, which is Zoloft, escitalopram, Lexapro, and alprazolam, Xanax. These screening questionnaires, the PHQ-9 and GAD-7, have an abysmal positive predictive value, meaning that their ability to detect actual depression and clinically meaningful anxiety is low. They're great for drumming up new customers for the pharmaceutical medical industrial complex, though. In my article, The Biochemical Imbalance Theory is Dead, Someone Should Tell Your Doctor, written in June 2021, I wrote about a study on the effects of cognitive behavioural therapy on serotonin receptors in depressed people. In a nutshell, researchers found the exact opposite of what the serotonin hypothesis of depression predicted, the serotonin transporter protein 5-HTT, which reduces the amount of active serotonin in the brain, is found in lower levels in depressed people. And after their depression remits, 5-HTT levels rise, that is, serotonin activity decreases. The researchers speculated that, quote, one possible interpretation is that the serotonin system doesn't cause depression, but is part of the brain's defense mechanism for protecting itself against depression. One might hypothesize, for example, that the level of 5-HTT drops when an individual is subjected to stress, such as during a depressive state, and that the level rises or normalizes when this stress goes away, end of quote. I could go on, but I think I've made my point. The Umbrella Review is a fine piece of work, as I would expect given the excellent form of the lead author, Professor Joanna Moncrief, who has been a leading voice in the psychiatric reform movement for decades. But I wasn't remotely surprised by any of its findings, because none of them are news. I'll tell you what I was surprised by in a minute, after I've praised the paper. Here are the key findings. 1. There is no relationship between plasma serotonin levels and depression, but antidepressant use is associated with lower serotonin concentration. 2. There is no association between the serotonin metabolite 5-HIAA and depression. 3. Studies examining the binding of serotonin to its 5-HT1A receptor and serotonin transporter, or CERT binding, quote, showed weak and inconsistent evidence of reduced binding in some areas, which would be consistent with increased synaptic availability of serotonin in people with depression if this was the original causal abnormality. However, effects of prior antidepressant use were not reliably excluded, end of quote. Or in plain English, they found more serotonin in the synapses of depressed than non-depressed people, the opposite of what would be predicted by the serotonin theory of depression, but this may have been due to the effects of antidepressant drugs they'd used in the past. 4. Depleting levels of tryptophan, the amino acid from which serotonin is made, in non-depressed people had no effect on the mood of most of them. A study of just 75 people with a family history of depression found weak evidence of an effect, but two larger studies with 342 and 407 participants respectively found no effect. And five, studies involving a total of nearly 160,000 people found no evidence of an association between variants of the CERT gene and depression or of an interaction between genotype, stress and depression. In summary, quote, 
The main areas of serotonin research provide no consistent evidence of there being an association between serotonin and depression, and no support for the hypothesis that depression is caused by lowered serotonin activity or concentrations. Some evidence was consistent with the possibility that long-term antidepressant use reduces serotonin concentration, end of quote. Or, as Joanna Moncrief expressed it in layman's terms in the press release for the publication, Quote, I think we can safely say that after a vast amount of research conducted over several decades, there is no convincing evidence that depression is caused by serotonin abnormalities, particularly by lower levels or reduced activity of serotonin. Many people take antidepressants because they have been led to believe their depression has a biochemical cause, but this new research suggests this belief is not grounded in evidence, end of quote. And that's from the press release, no evidence that depression is caused by low serotonin levels. Let that sink in for a moment. No convincing evidence doesn't mean nobody has designed proper experiments to investigate these theories so they might still be true. It means everyone and their dog has been trying nine ways to Sunday to show that there's some kind of connection between serotonin and depression for decades. And despite blowing uncounted sums of taxpayers' money in research grants on it, they've come up with nutter, big fat nothing, diddly squat. Are you surprised by these findings? If not, congratulations. My guess is that you've gasped, done your own research, and discovered that psychiatry slash psychopharmacology is a monumental fraud. If you are surprised, I don't blame you, and you're not alone. According to the authors of the review article, quote, surveys suggest that 80% or more of the general public now believe it is established that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance. Many general practitioners also subscribe to this view, and popular websites commonly cite the theory, end of quote. Big Pharma, its pimps, that is doctors, and its poodles, the media and entertainment industry, have done a stellar job of persuading the public that the tissue of lies known as the serotonin theory of depression and the biochemical imbalance theory of mental illness, more broadly, are solidly grounded in science. Now, do you want to know what did take me by surprise when this paper was published? It was this comment by co-author of the paper, Dr. Mark Horowitz, who is described as, quote, a training psychiatrist and clinical research fellow in psychiatry at University College London and the Northeast London NHS Foundation Trust, end of quote. And here's a quote from Horowitz. I had been taught that depression was caused by low serotonin in my psychiatry training and had even taught this to students in my own lectures. Being involved in this research was eye-opening and feels like everything I thought I knew has been flipped upside down, end of quote. Say what? How is it even possible that a person can undergo psychiatric training and not be aware that there is not, and has never been, any persuasive evidence for the serotonin hypothesis of depression? Remember, the person who first proposed this hypothesis, George Ashcroft, had already abandoned it due to lack of evidence in 1970. You know, 1970, as in over 50 freaking years ago. How exactly does a person get through medical school, internship and residency, and then a psychiatric fellowship, without ever stumbling across the vast professional and popular literature critiquing the foundational dogmas of psychopharmacology? And what does this tell you about medical education more generally? Might the fact that a person who lectured medical students on psychiatry was unable to uncover the complete lack of evidence for one of his core beliefs until well into his career shed some light on doctors' behaviour during the manufactured COVID crisis? You think? 
Although in popular parlance the term apocalypse has come to connote universal or widespread destruction or disaster, it derives from the Greek word apocalypsis, which translates to revelation or disclosure. I've often wondered, usually after having to explain to yet another client that their depression was not caused by serotonin deficiency or biochemical imbalance, just how many revelations and disclosures do there have to be before people stop believing this giant pile of crap? Observing the massive traction that this review article has gained, I'm cautiously optimistic that the colossal swindle known as psychiatry has finally reached its apocalypse now moment. The message that there is no scientific basis to the serotonin theory of depression and therefore to the hundreds of millions of prescriptions written every year for drugs that aim to manipulate serotonin levels has been relentlessly plastered across both legacy and new media since the article was published. With trust in the pharmaceutical medical industrial complex plummeting due to the disastrous performance of COVID injections and approved treatments and the unfathomable cowardice of the medical profession, which has stood by as the multi-layered tragedy unfolded, I expect a lot of patients who have been prescribed these drugs are going to be asking their doctors some very awkward questions. Let me make myself very clear. Human suffering in the face of life's vicissitudes is real. But the notion that this suffering is due to biochemical imbalance is, quite frankly, held only by complete morons. As Mark Horowitz put it, quote, One interesting aspect in the studies we examined was how strong an effect adverse life events played in depression, suggesting low mood is a response to people's lives and can it be boiled down to a simple chemical equation, end of quote. <laughs> you don't say. Professor Moncrief's critique of her own profession's mendacity and careless disregard for the effects of serotonin-manipulating drugs on patients' brains is trenchant and well-aimed. Quote, Our view is that patients should not be told that depression is caused by low serotonin or by a chemical imbalance, and that they should not be led to believe that antidepressants work by targeting these unproven abnormalities. We do not understand what antidepressants are doing to the brain exactly, and giving people this sort of misinformation prevents them from making an informed decision about whether to take antidepressants or not. End of quote. I love the smell of honesty in the morning. Just finally, an important note. Antidepressant discontinuation syndrome, or withdrawal syndrome, is common, often mistaken for relapse of the condition for which the drug was prescribed, and can be extremely distressing and frightening. Antidepressants should not be abruptly discontinued, especially if you've been taking them for an extended period. Please see my suggestions for conducting a medication taper, which I've linked to in the post accompanying this podcast episode, and ensure that you have adequate, qualified supervision before you commence. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend and on your socials, and make sure you subscribe to my Empowered Substack so you never miss a post.